Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. Our Lord says, There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day, and at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The two men pictured here could not be more different. The first is a rich man, but not just any rich man, a very rich man. He daily wears expensive and luxurious clothing of royal purple and fine linen. Some would only wear such clothing on special occasions so as not to wear it out, but this man wears them every day knowing that he can always get more to replace it. Moreover, he feasts sumptuously every day. Feasting was normally reserved for very special occasions, such as weddings, or as in the parable of the prodigal son, the return of a long-lost family member. But this man eats and drinks much daily. In such feasting, he would be inviting over many friends, hangers-on, and sycophants all trying to get something from him or to win his favor. Our Lord does not give this man a name, though traditionally he is known as a divas, which is just the Latin for rich man. At the gate of the rich man's house was laid a poor man named Lazarus. He was not simply poor, but extremely poor, a beggar unable to do any normal work. Without the help of friends and family, he must survive simply off of the mercy of others because he can't do anything else otherwise. He is covered with sores, with open ulcers. He is sick and weak, too sick and too weak to work or even to move. He did not find in this place, thinking it a prime begging spot, but rather he was laid here by others who saw people going in and out of the man's house daily. Lazarus did not need much, but desired only to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. All he wanted was the scraps, those things that weren't going to be eaten anyway, but instead thrown out. Yet he doesn't even receive this. The rich man takes no care for him. Here he was, a perfect candidate for almsgiving and other care, right at the door of the rich man. But the rich man shows him no mercy. He does not send him food. He does not pay to have a physician come and take a look at him and to care for him. He does not bind his wounds. He simply leaves him there. Any mercy that Lazarus would have received would have come by means of one of the rich man's slaves bringing out the scraps to throw them out and having pity on him and giving him something to eat. Other than that, the only mercy and care that he received was from the wild dogs that roamed the city streets, scavengers that survived off of garbage and rats. These dogs, being unclean to the Jewish people according to their law, were more merciful to Lazarus than anyone else and cleaned his wounds when no one else would. Their lives were so very different, but both came to an end. Lazarus, the poor man, died. The rich man also died. No matter how rich or how poor we are, all must 
die. All have sinned, all are born tainted with sin, and so all must die. You must die, I must die, just as Lazarus and the rich man die. When Lazarus died, he, was, he would have been taken to a communal cemetery meant for, the buying, meant for the burying of the nameless poor. Yet, when he died, he was carried by angels to Abraham's side. He who was so poor and so helpless, so overlooked, was carried by the angels of God to the presence of Abraham, the father of faith. Who, he who was unknown is taken to heaven, the place of rest where his name was written forever in the book of life. Meanwhile, the rich man also died and was buried. He would have had a most magnificent funeral. There would have been mourners there who mourned for the full Shiva, the full seven days, wailing and mourning and crying. He would have been buried in a tomb set aside for him so that his name would be remembered forever to those who saw it and passed it by. But despite all of this, all of these earthly honors, he is taken away in death to Hades, to the place of gloom, fire, and death, the place far removed from God's gracious presence for those who trust in him. Despite all of the earthly honors meant to perpetuate his name, he goes nameless to hell. Both die, as all must do, and as all do. Yet there is a great difference between their deaths. Lazarus is at the side of Abraham, recognized by Abraham as his true son, as one of the number of the unnumbered stars, because he shares the faith of Abraham. The rich man, while physically a son of Abraham according to descent, was not a true son of Abraham. He calls out to him in the midst of his torment, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Two things are made clear to us. One, there is a finality of our lots in death. There is, as it were, a great chasm between those in bliss and those in torment, so that none may pass from one to the other. The other is that each one is receiving his due. In your lifetime you received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. But what is the difference? What makes it so that one is due comfort and the other due anguish? It cannot have been their stations in life. After all, Abraham himself was rich, exceedingly so. And so why is it like it is? This is what the rich man is asking in his questions behind his questions. As he continues in the hereafter to show contempt for Lazarus, seeing him as Abraham's servant to be ordered around at the rich man's will, when he says, Then I beg you, Father, to send him, that is Lazarus, to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. The rich man is saying, 
I was not warned, and now I'm here. My brothers have not been warned, and they live like me. Send Lazarus that he may warn them so that they can avoid this. It is clear he does not understand. And so Abraham, still dealing gently with this man, says, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Abraham gently refuses the request of the rich man because they already have all that they need to be warned, all that they need to escape the torment and anguish of hell. They have Moses and the prophets, that is, they have the scriptures, the five books which Moses wrote and the rest which were written by various prophets. The rich man also had these in his life. These were sufficient to warn him and to show him the way to Abraham's side. To the place where God's eternal mercy and love shines on his saints. For certainly this man knew the scriptures. He was rich. He probably contributed to his local synagogue, as those relied on, especially the rich, for patronage in those days. He knew enough to call Abraham his father. Recognizing that he comes from the line of Abraham through Isaac, the promised child, whom God promised to him even in his old age when he thought he would die childless. Yes, he, like his five surviving brothers, had Moses and the prophets and could have heard them, but he did not. How then can I say that he had obviously heard them? He heard them without hearing them. He heard of Abraham, of Moses, of the prophets, but he did not hear them. He listened and learned but never came to the knowledge of the truth. That is, he heard the words, but he did not take them to heart. They went in the one proverbial ear and out the other. He did not take the words to heart and believe what they said. He had no faith, no trust in the God of Abraham. He knew of his existence, believed he was real, but he did not believe him. He did not trust in him, he did not believe in his promises. It was not this man's wealth that damned him, but his unbelief. Abraham was wealthy. He had so many sheep and livestock that he could not keep them with his nephew, Lot's, because together they would have eaten everything, caused the hills to be bare, and they would all die. No, if wealth was the determiner of this, Either Abraham would be with the rich man in hell, or the rich man would be with Abraham in heaven. Rather, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham's faith was counted by the Lord as righteousness. That is, as St. Paul tells us, he was justified by faith. Thus, he is the father of faith, the father of all with the same faith in God. And as a result of this faith, Abraham, who was rich, was also rich in mercy. He believed God and trusted in him, and so he did not trust in his wealth and many possessions, but rather was liberal with them and providing for others and in showing hospitality even to strangers. The rich man was, as it says, rich. That was not the problem, but he did not believe. This we can see from his actions. He served only himself. He feasted and indulged in himself. He had the perfect candidate for alms, literally on his doorstep, and he did nothing to help him. He did not give him food. He did not give him care. 
He did not give him clothing. He ignored him. He was, in truth, Lazarus's murderer. He had all the resources and opportunities to help him, but he did not. He ignored him, although he knew he was there. He called Abraham father, claimed in his life, no doubt, to love the God who had given him all of his wealth. Yet, as St. John reminds us in our epistle, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Thus, all the good he received in this life, which was meant to support both his own life, but also, and more importantly, the lives of others, was misappropriated and became his God. Thus, he received in his lifetime all of his good. He received during his life all of God's mercy. For God daily and richly provided for him and blessed him, and he gave him the opportunity to repent of his sin and to have faith in him, but he did not. Thus now he receives his bad things. Lazarus, on the other hand, was poor and was helpless, but he believed God. He was true to his name, Lazarus, that is, God is my helper. He looked to God and for help and believed in him. He looked to the God of Abraham and trusted in him, even in the midst of so much humiliation, sickness, and death. And now he is comforted, for just as Abraham, Lazarus believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was justified by his faith. His sins were forgiven, and so he entered into bliss as a true child of Abraham. And just as then, the scripture is all that is necessary for us to know, to be warned, and to be saved. The scripture is sufficient for working a true faith. We have Moses and the prophets. And moreover, even the evangelists and the apostles. We have Jesus, the Son of God, who is prophesied of, promised, revealed, and speaks in those same scriptures, the same word. The word is sufficient and contains all that is necessary, showing both our sin, by which we deserve hell, but also our Savior, who has taken our sins upon himself and died for us that we might escape hell and being justified by faith, live with him and Abraham and all the saints in bliss. And this scripture is not merely a repository for this information, but it is living and active, the very word of God, that it may create in us a living faith, whether it is read, preached, or working through the sacraments. It is God's living word which is active to create faith in us by the working of the Holy Spirit, so that we may truly hear the words. Abraham's retort to the rich man who denied all of this, who denied that the scriptures were sufficient for himself and for his brothers, is telling and still applies today. If they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced should someone rise from the dead. If someone rejects the word of God, the truth that it brings, both of our helplessness and perilous state, as well as how God has worked to remedy that for us and redeem us, how will they believe if someone rises from the dead in order to testify about the same things? They'll find ways to reject even the miracle in front of their very own eyes. It really isn't her. She just looks like our friend who died. He didn't really die. He just fainted. 
He swooned. Now he's better. No, if we reject the word through which God reveals himself to us, if we reject it as sufficient for attaining the knowledge of salvation, living faith itself, we remain lost. The true faith worked by the Holy Spirit in us by his word is a great gift, one which is credited to us as righteousness, which brings us the forgiveness of our sins when that word is taken to heart, when it is truly heard, that is, when it is believed. This faith then works in us and moves us to be rich in mercy towards others, just as God has been rich in mercy towards us. We do not deserve his kindness, yet he shows it to us. We do not deserve his love, yet he loves us and sent his son to die for us. That is why faith brings forth love in us. We love because he first loved us. We recognize his great mercy, his great love, his great gifts, and so act in kind to those around us. And we do not need to look far to find those in need of love, mercy, and care. We do not need to look halfway around the world to find them. There are brothers and sisters, probably among us in our own congregations, who need help in various ways. There are men and women and children in this very town and in the neighboring towns who are in need. There are those who now have bad things, and they are those upon which we should give alms and care for them out of our love for them, no matter how unlovable they may be in the eyes of the world. Indeed, God richly and daily provides for us, and he will continue to do so. Let us then richly provide for and care for and have mercy on our neighbors whom we love because God has first loved us not in order to earn anything by our own merits, but because we have already received everything from God through the merit of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself over to death in order that we might live with him by faith. May God grant that through faith in his Son, we may be brought by the angels to the side of Abraham when we die. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.